Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a daily program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. We're working our way through the two-year version of the RMM Scripture Reading Plan, and I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to John chapter 19. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now, there were three different types of Roman floggings, and it's hard to know what type or types Jesus was subjected to prior to his crucifixion. The Synoptic Gospels seem to suggest that Pilate had been hoping to flog Jesus in lieu of crucifixion. And therefore, some suggest that actually Jesus ended up being flogged twice. They think that Pilate first ordered a type of standalone flogging known as the Fustigatio hoping that this would satisfy the crowd and the Sanhedrin. But when it didn't, he ordered the standard verberatio, which generally preceded crucifixion. This understanding, preferred by many scholars, would explain why it was that Jesus died faster than the other men who were crucified at the same time. Two Roman floggings would result in a massive amount of trauma and loss of blood. That Jesus even made it to the cross is something of a miracle. Verse 2 says, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Of course, this is terribly ironic. The soldiers speak better than they know. Verse 4, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Colin Cruz says here, It may be that Pilate thought the crowd, having seen that Jesus had been flogged and humiliated, would be satisfied, and then he could release him. However, this was not to be, closed quote. Jesus would drink the cup, and he would drink it to the dregs. Verse 6, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. The Jews had not disclosed the theological claims of Christ. They wanted Pilate to condemn him for sedition. They wanted maximum shame and maximum punishment. They wanted him to be crucified. And when he appeared reluctant to do that, They laid their motives bare, and Pilate was afraid. Verse 9, he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you 
has the greater sin. Now, scholars debate as to whether this verse applies to Judas or Caiaphas. They both, in their own way, handed Jesus over. So the answer you get depends on the scholar that you read. D.A. Carson says, for example, on the whole, it seems best to fasten on Caiaphas, since he not only took an active, if not determinative, part in the plot against Jesus, and as high priest presiding over the Sanhedrin, he took a leading part in formulating the charges against Jesus, closed quote. I don't suppose it matters in the end, and I don't suppose you would want to be either man on Judgment Day. Jesus said in Luke 12, 47-48, That servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The more you know, Jesus says, the higher the standard by which you will be judged. Both Caiaphas and Judas in their own way knew a great deal about Jesus, and still they betrayed him. Pilate was not without guilt, but his guilt could not compare to him who delivered Jesus into his hands. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. It is remarkable to note the lengths that these Jewish leaders were willing to go to in order to secure the crucifixion of Jesus. They were willing to break their own laws and traditions by conducting a trial at night. And here we see that they were willing even to commit blasphemy. The Old Testament was very clear that the true king of Israel was God himself. Judges 8.23 records Gideon as saying, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. 1 Samuel 8.7 records the Lord himself saying to Samuel when the people asked for a king, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. To that sin, they added this. They rejected the Son of God and the Son of David from being king over them, and they instead chose Caesar. And as history records, God gave them over into Caesar's hand. Verse 16. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, 
bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Mark adds an additional detail in Mark 15:21. He says, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. I think it takes a particular mind to consider this a contradiction. Many scholars think that Mark included that detail because Alexander and Rufus were known to his original readers. It was a personal detail that John, writing many years later, omitted. All John says is that Jesus went out carrying his own cross. Obviously, at some point along the way, he fell and was helped by Simon of Cyrene. Together they came to the place of the skull. Verse 18 says, There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Pilate is just about done with these Jewish leaders. He knows they have handed Jesus over out of spite and jealousy. He knows his hand has been forced, and he is returning spite for spite. But again, There is irony in the fact that he is speaking better than he knows. Verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. The scripture mentioned is Psalm 22, 18 from the Septuagint translation. Verse 24 goes on to say, So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, many readers wonder why Jesus would entrust his mother Mary to John's care rather than entrusting her to the care of his brothers. There are at least two possible answers to that question. One is that Jesus wanted Mary in the care of a believer. And as of yet, his brothers were not believers. The weakness with that suggestion is that we know that Jesus' brothers became believers shortly after the resurrection. The other answer that is often given is that Jesus' brothers were not, in fact, the sons of Mary. By this understanding, Joseph had sons from a previous marriage. His wife then died, and he married Mary, who then later had Jesus. James then, for example, was Jesus' brother legally, but not Mary's son biologically. That answer makes a lot of sense. But of course, we cannot say for sure. 
For one reason or another, Jesus asks John to take Mary into his home as mother, and he did. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. The scripture in view here is likely Psalm 22, verse 15, which says, My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue is glued to my throat, and thou hast brought me down to the dust of the death. Jesus is thirsty with the dust of death, so they give him sour wine to drink. Verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. There is a world of meaning in those words. It is finished. He has done everything the Father sent him to accomplish. It is finished. The old covenant law and ritual have been fulfilled in him. It is finished. All the types and prophecies of the Old Testament have landed on him. It is finished. He has made an end of transgression by bringing in an everlasting righteousness. It is finished. The work of man's redemption and salvation is now completed. It is finished. The cup of suffering and pain and shame have been taken and drained to the dregs. It is finished. His life was now finished, and he was ready to breathe his last. And so he did. He breathed his last, bowed his head, and gave up his spirit. Thanks be to God. Verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. The scriptures cited there come from Exodus 12, 46 and Zechariah 12, verse 10, verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. 
So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Normally, under Roman law, the bodies of those who had been crucified were buried in a common grave. But Pilate knows that Jesus was no criminal, and he is eager to stick it to the Jewish leaders one last time. So he hands over the body of Jesus to Joseph of Arimathea, again in accordance with the scriptures. This time, Isaiah 53, verse 9, which says, They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus has died and has now been buried in accordance with the word of God in Holy Scripture. As the Apostle Paul said, In his introduction to his epistle to the Galatians, Jesus has given himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources, you can find those over at the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope that you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again tomorrow, right here, for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you.